Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts. Especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond to dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributor. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. I'll start with a scripture reading from the book of Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the crowds, his mother, he, Jesus, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. But Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. I've never been particularly drawn to this scripture. People show up and excitedly tell Jesus, your mom and brothers are here. As a mom, when Jesus responds, huh? Who are they? These guys are my family. It hasn't been the most exciting scripture. But it was about a decade ago when I was working in the anti-violence movement when I heard the phrase for the first time, chosen family. Friends and activists often use this term to refer to their people. Chosen family were the people with whom they experienced belonging, seeing, love. And as such, they actively chose to be in deep and committed relationship with them. It was a new concept for me, but not really. It was a new term for me. Growing up, I experienced a sense of home, of family, of belonging in my church. Though far from perfect, when I was around my church family, a part of me could relax, it could settle in, it could show up and be seen. I belonged. Jesus, my activist friends, and even my own history echo a similar message. When it comes to family, Biology does not hold the trump card. We can be family, mothers, brothers, sisters, aunties, and uncles to each other because we choose to. Because we choose to see each other, we choose to nurture. Indeed, we can choose to mother. Over the last few years, I've been fascinated and inspired by the work of anthropologist and primatologist Sarah Hurdy. Sarah Hurdy writes extensively on what she refers to as allo parenting. Allo, the Latin root for other, parenting, in essence, is caretaking of babies and children by people other than their biological mom. Hurdy argues that sometime before the genesis of the sapient brain, which characterizes Homo sapiens, along with the distinctively human traits of language. Before that, emerged a line of apes that began to be interested in the mental and subjective lives of another. This capacity did not and does not exist in their close relative, the chimpanzee. 
These apes faced intense challenges with child rearing, including high mortality rates, starvation, disease, and these plights hit the young especially hard. The vulnerable little ones needed their mothers and others, siblings, aunties, uncles, fathers, and if lucky, grandma, to make it through. Cooperative breeding or alloparenting emerged. It took a village. But does it still take a village? Even today across the animal kingdom, alloparenting is extraordinarily rare. Plus, our, our world looks very different than it did for our hominid ancestors. And though our, their plights, mortality, high mortality rates, starvation, and disease are still very much present, the question is, have we modernized ourselves out of the need for alloparents? By the way that we've structured society in our common life, recognizing the nuclear family, assuming childcare responsibilities of babies primarily, if not exclusively, on those who bore them, one might think we've left this, but Herdy, along with a host of other researchers and so many of our lived experiences offer a resounding no. What might be behind that no? For one, human babies are dependent on their parents more intensely and for a longer time than any other species. Horses walk minutes after they're born. Baby sea turtles hatch on sand and clamor solo to the water. In contrast, our babies lean not on legs for survival, but attachment. And those chubby cheek little ones take a heck of a lot of work. A baby with its long dependency stage needs people to care for it, but so does the four-year-old. It was not a possible, let alone ideal, for the ape mama to take care of her infant baby with its older siblings. And the same is true for us. Further, we limit our kids by narrowing their exposure and relationship with adults. The majority of children are raised by two, if lucky, or one parent. Think of how limited that child's modeling of adulthood is. What are the chances that that one adult and that one child have an easeful goodness of fit? What are the chances that one adult and that one child beat to the same drum and want the same things for their full lives. It's unlikely. Then think of a child raised with a cornucopia of adults with a div diverse array of talents and paths and dispositions and motivations. With alloparenting, we offer them, these children, an expanded imagination, sense of belonging, a path towards empowerment. We have long recognized that public representation matters. When we are young and we see others who look like us doing powerful work in the world, we see a vocational path for ourselves. But we need this representation in our intimate spheres too. As children, we need to see adults who vary in the way they conduct their lives, how they household, partner, parent, love, and show up in order to enable these little ones to live their one unique and precious life. We need intimate representation. But there is more. The concept of alloparenting excites me to no end, partially because it resonates so powerfully with the insight I gained with working with survivors of child sexual abuse. I had the, the profound gift 
of conducting in-depth interviews with survivors, largely survivors of incest. And in these cases, more often than not, the sexual abuse was intertwined with physical and emotional violence. It was a web of abuse with children desperately working to find some corner of safety in a home that could offer no such thing. Though I'd been in the anti-abuse field for a decade or so and endured trauma myself, I left these interviews struck and taken aback by the intense, entangled, and inhumane nature of the violence. These kids were undergoing what I could best describe as a war zone. The first takeaway renders my second more powerful. When I asked survivors, how did you make it through? More often than not, they named a person, a sibling, a neighbor, a teacher, a grandma, the guy who covered one shift that one night in the group home. This one person may not have interrupted the abuse and offered the child the safety that they desperately needed and deserved, but they played an enormous role of hope. They helped that child make it through by offering a glimpse of something that was different than the normalized tyranny or neglect, by offering the child a connection to someone who saw them. The insight these survivors offered to me of the power of one person, of the impact of one caring adult, has shifted, arguably transformed how I live my daily life. These people who helped these children make it through, who now these adult children are still speaking of 35 years later, are not unlike me. They were imperfect people imperfect people who cared about this child and let it show in their simple actions and lit up faces. These adults who likely have no idea of the impact they had communicated to the child that they mattered. It was a low bar actually, and one that you and I can cross. We as individuals, and I believe even more as a community, can help our children make it through. We can see them, delight in them, listen to them, choose to care. And in doing so, we alloparent. Alison Gopnik, a philosopher and child psychologist writes, we don't care for children because we love them. We love them because we care for them. The very act of caring grows our love for the beloved. And this is true for all of our relationships. We do not need to relegate love to chance, fate, or biology, but in choosing to offer care to a child, we grow our love for them. It's not too dissimilar to the rose in your garden, that rose or that bright strawberry, the one that you've tended to with water and soil and pruning and attention, is special, delicious, and connected to you in a way that a store-bought one just isn't. In closing, I'd like to share a gift with you that my dear friend Joan Chabotnik, who happens to be with us today, offered to me about four years ago. After several years of long distance dating and waiting for our geographies to change, Graham and I decided to marry. When I told people about our decision to marry, I felt sheepish, even ashamed, 
as I anticipated and often received the questions from caring friends. How is this going to work? He's going to still live in Nashville. So when I shared this news with Jane, Joan, I meekly told her that we were marrying and would continue to live on different coasts for the time. Detecting my hesitancy, she responded with something like this. You know, when Jane and I married so many years ago, we didn't have a model for how our marriage should be. We weren't surrounded with lesbians with long marriage histories. And we experienced this as a gift. We didn't have to work hard to avoid the deep and ill-fitting grooves of what culture told us marriage had to be. We had an invitation to create what we wanted, something different, something new, something true to us. In choosing this, I think you and Graham have that opportunity too. What a profound gift that was to me, the fact that my partnership did not fit into the real perceived cultural frame of marriage need not be an opportunity for shame, but rather an invitation to create something different, something new, something true to us. And I wonder if Joan's insight can be translated to mothering. If our experiences of mothering or of being mothered are not what we hope for or what the culture says we should be, might this not be an opportunity not for shame, but perhaps an invitation to create something different, something new, something true to you and to our children who need more parents, more adults, excuse me, who care. Might Joan offer an invitation to us today? And might Jesus too? As we read Jesus' words, who are my brother and mother? Look at these disciples, they are my mother and my brothers. Perhaps we will not hear them as a distancing affront, but as an exciting invitation to follow his lead, to choose, acknowledge, and contribute to family, even mothering in unexpected places. And who knows, maybe Jesus said these jolting words, not for Mary, nor for the growing audience, but instead for one of his disciples. Perhaps one of those ragtag followers came from a family who didn't see him, who didn't offer him the care and love and seeing that he needed. Perhaps he felt familyless until Jesus pointed his finger at him and said, these disciples, this guy is my family. He belongs with me. And who knows, if we interviewed that disciple decades later and asked him how he made it through the valleys and traumas of his life, perhaps he too would respond with the name of one person the one person with whom he belonged. Friends, may we be that person. May we be those people who offer belonging, who care for one another, and in doing so, find ourselves in love. Friends, I have a few queries to offer for our um, time of open worship. I'll read them and then I'll put them in the chat. They include what part of today's message is for you? Are there folks who've contributed care and mothering to your life? How did they impact your journey? Are there children and young people that could be enriched by your attention and care, perhaps allo parenting? If so, how might you contribute? And lastly, is the meta meta metaphor of chosen 
and family a helpful one for our church community? How might or might not owl parenting be a part? Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. We're really happy that so many of you are finding it to be helpful and as a way to stay connected with what's going on with us here at West Hills Friends. If you'd like to stay connected with us in other ways, we have a couple options for you. You can check out our website. It's westhillsfriends.org. There you'll find some more information about who we are as a community. You can also follow us on Facebook. We have a Facebook account by just searching for West Hills Friends. You can also follow us on Instagram. We have a Instagram account with the name West Hills Friends. So we hope that you'll get connected with us in other ways. And again, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast.